Well, good afternoon again. I just encourage you to come on in and, and take a seat. Uh, break time is over, and we're about to start the session in here, which is He Made Them Male and Female, Sex, Gender, and the Image of God. So as you're coming in there, just a quick reminder that if you haven't yet, you can text in your questions. So make sure you do that. If you have questions at any time, we'll get those through the, uh, uh, during the question and answer time. But as we move into this session, um, as we grapple with these ideas and we wrap our minds around sexual identity and transgenderism, this has often kind of taken us maybe by surprise and we ask questions like, is gender a social construct? Do our bodies matter? And we're gonna welcome Dr. Christopher Yuan back as he explains pertinent terminology and categories as the first steps to better understanding gender identity. So give a warm welcome to Dr. Christopher Yuan. Thanks. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for every good and perfect gift. Lord, we praise you for giving us, first and foremost, Jesus. Lord, it is only through him that we can know you. It is only through him that we are reconciled to you. And praise you, Father, for this incredible gift through Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be more like him each and every day. Lord, we praise you, we thank you, and we ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. As we are kind of scrambling to try to wrap our minds around this reality of sexual identity and trying to be full of grace and full of truth, I almost see what's going on in the world today that I sometimes wonder that sexuality has almost been like a little foil or it feels like sexuality has just been the Trojan horse that has brought into the city the reality of transgenderism. Like the world has just totally moved on from sexuality. It's just a foregone conclusion. Of course, this is okay. It's normal. It's natural. And what now we are dealing with and what the world and the culture has been kind of taken by storm is this reality of transgenderism, gender. So is sex, male and female, is it, is it a social construct? Is, is it a matter of personal choice? Are there more than two genders? Years ago, these questions were unheard of, apart from maybe English and women's studies departments at secular universities. But as strange and peculiar and even sacrilegious as it may sound, these questions are actually very common. And even in Christian circles, many would say yes to all three of those questions. Yes, of course, sex is a social contract. Yes, of course, it's a matter of choice. And there's certainly more than two genders. And it gets even more personal and real. Maybe you have a kindergartner who has a playmate who's being raised gender neutral. Or maybe your favorite coffee shop, instead of having name tags, they have personal pronoun tags. Like it almost doesn't matter what your name is, it more matters what is your personal preferred pronoun. Or maybe it's even a, pers a bit personal and close to home. You have a loved one, a son or daughter, who's transitioning. So although the modern West has kind of lost its moorings on, and its boundaries and celebrates a plethora of so-called gender options, how do Christians, how do we respond full of grace and full of truth? I think it's important that before we try to do right, we need to think right. Because I think sometimes as people in their vigor to try to do right, they're not thinking right. Because if you try to do right without thinking right, you could actually be doing wrong. This is what we call orthodoxy before orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is right thinking. Orthopraxy is right doing. 
our right thinking needs to precede right doing. And to think right, we need to consider the right terminology and consider the right categories. And we need to begin with understanding and not confusing and conflating these different categories, sex, gender, norms, and roles. Sex, gender, norms, and roles. So let's first start with the first term, sex. And before jumping into this, I need to clarify that there's actually a couple different definitions for sex. The first definition of sex refers to the act of sexual intercourse between two human beings. In my previous talk, when I talk about sex, I was talking about the act of sexual intercourse. Sex also has a different definition referring to the categories of being male or female. At least for this discussion, we're going to be focusing on the second definition of sex. So as a good definition, sex, it refers to an objective binary classification of being male or female. In this sense, sex refers to divisions based on reproductive functions. They are quantifiable, meaning measurable differences between the sexes, male and female. And, and without intentionally trying to offend, men and women are different. Uh, we got an amen. Can we all say amen? amen? Amen. Men and women are different. And it's so crazy today that a statement like that is offensive. When it's fact-based. It's even science-based. And I know, that's not, I'm, I'm, I'm like breaking all these, you know, <laughs> categories. I do believe in science. Crazy, right? I just also know the limitations of science. Science is not the arbiter of truth. Not everything in science is true. There's subjectivity in science. Shocking. But, but women, men and women, male and female, there's actual differences. Sex is male or female. It's biological. It's genetic, it's anatomical, it's physiological, it's neurological, hormonal. It's, these are fact-based things. It's even shown that the minds of men and women, there, there, are some, there are some difference. Not to say that there's a male brain and a female brain, but it's been shown that even in the way that boys and girls mature their brains, it's known that... Girl brains mature faster than boy brains. It's just the, so girls are often just smarter than boys. <laughs> you know, that's why sometimes girls, they're doing algebra and boys are still picking their noses. <laughs> Not all boys. <laughs> so we see there's differences and that's, you know, that's Okay. However, it's interesting because many today would claim that sex is not objective. It's arbitrary. By saying that sex is assigned at birth. Like a doctor just arbitrarily, well, male. Like as if kind of just without any knowledge, it's not based on science or fact. That is simply untrue. The sex of a newborn baby is not assigned, but observed. It's observed physically by a baby's external sex organs, and it can be confirmed genetically through a simple DNA test or a blood test. So, are human beings sexual beings? A lot of Christians often say we are sexual beings. And I would say years ago that made sense when we said we're sexual beings. We know we mean that human beings were either male or female. My issue is 
how the term sexual has kind of evolved. What do we mean by sexual? And I know that Christians, when they say we're sexual beings, they mean that we're male or female. But the reality is the term sexual, especially as we're living post-sexual revolution, means something totally different. Sexual revolution, does that mean that we're all, that there's a revolution for you know, males and females? No. What does sexual revolution mean? Sexual is referring to the act of sex. And so then when we say sexual beings, that gives the impression that somehow human beings, we must have sex. We can't exist without sex. Now, certainly, I mean, that's how we come into, you know, conception is through the act of sex. But does it mean after we're born that, like, we, we can't go through a day without having sex or, or that we need that just to survive? Like, just as we need food, we need sex. I mean, no one really believes that. Well, let me tell you about someone named Sigmund Freud. <laughs> Sigmund Freud, he believed that abstaining from sex would lead to pathosis. So you would be, that you would have a mental health issue by not having sex. Alfred Kinsey, anyone familiar with Alfred Kinsey? Alfred Kinsey, a sexologist who even, even kind of extreme than Sigmund Freud, he studied um, how children and even babies, to six, a six-month-old babies, how they would be sexually aroused. How is a six-month-old sexually aroused other than an adult doing it to the baby. If that is not pedophilia, I don't know what is. And yet he's lionized at Indiana University where they even have a center under his name, the Kinsey Institute. Alfred Kinsey believed that a person can become neurotic without having sex. It's even in politics. So U.S. representative from California, and I know right away you're like, well, that's why. <laughs> Barbara Lee, she stated, an abstinence until marriage program is not only irresponsible, it's inhumane. So are we sexual? I mean, it depends on how you define that. And instead of saying that we're sexual, because if we're trying to just communicate that we are male or female, how about just saying that we're sexed beings? I actually much prefer that. We are sexed beings, male or female, just like the, the animal kingdom. They are sexed, male or female. So... Binary. When I say binary, that means two. There's two categories, male or female. Objective meaning it's not based on my feelings or my self-perceptions or my thoughts. It's objective, not subjective. But is it really binary? People will say, what about intersex? See, this is where intersex comes in. Does it mean just, well, just because there's intersex and that there's more than two genders? Or... Does intersex actually prove transgenderism? That, you know, transgenderism, there's people that are kind of all across the spectrum. We could be all over the place. Well, this is something very important. Two things when it comes to intersex. Does that prove? I mean, let, let me first kind of define intersex. Intersex is, is a, it's a biological phenomenon. It's objective where an individual will have genital ambiguity or genetic variance. So a baby might be born with smaller male external sex organs, or maybe it could be a female born with larger female sexual organs. And so it's kind of there's ambiguity. But here is the misunderstanding when it comes to intersex. There's this misunderstanding that somehow everyone that is intersex, we don't know whether they're male or female. Not true. The vast majority of people who are intersex, which, which that is actually a small percentage of the general population, intersex occurs, um, it, it's, a, it's a small category that occurs one in thousands as opposed to one in hundreds, um, but it is a, the, the intersexuality 
Most of those we know whether they are male or female. A very small percent within intersex, it is maybe a little bit unknown where the person could maybe, for example, have an XXY chromosome as opposed to just an XY or an XX chromosome. But the vast majority we know. But even in that case, intersexuality is essentially an anomaly. It's a biological anomaly. People who don't necessarily fit neatly into these different categories. But in every situation in biology or in health sciences or medicine, an anomaly never nullifies categories. An anomaly never nullifies categories. So, for example, let's just take another genetic anomaly like Down syndrome. Down syndrome, very similar to Kleinfelder syndrome. You know, when I said the XXY, now, no, to be clear, XXY, that, that syndrome that is called Kleinfelder's is just one example within the vast majority of intersex. So, there's, that's, so you have general population, you have a small percentage of people who are intersex. Within that is even a smaller that have Kleinfelder's, you know, which is an extra chromosome, which is similar to Down syndrome, which is also an extra chromosome that happens much more often than this. But even when that person in Down syndrome has an extra chromosome, just because we have so many people, you know, that, that are Down syndrome, does that mean then we just get rid of all the categories? We're like, we don't know how many chromosomes a human person has. Of course not. It's just an anomaly. Second, when people often try to use intersex to justify transgenderism, we need to help people to understand, right? Think right before you do right. We need to help them to understand that it's like trying to take an apple to prove an orange. They're totally different categories. Intersex is an objective reality. Transgenderism is a subjective reality. Intersex, that is something measurable, biological, sometimes it's genetic. It's something that is provable. It is something that can be uh, scientifically shown and measured, or there's a, a phenotype for, for the reality of intersex. Transgenderism is not objective. It's a subjective reality, which then brings us to the definition of gender. So whereas we have sex, which is an objective binary classification, gender is different because in the past, sex and gender used to mean the same thing. Sex and gender used to both refer to the objective binary classification of being male or female, but no longer words change change meaning over time. See, gender today, this, this, it's a little bit more difficult to, to understand and examine. Unlike sex, gender is a category that exists really objectively only in the realm of linguistics and language. If you've ever learned language, you t- we learn gender. There's nouns and pronouns and, um, and sometimes in some languages, verbs. For example, um, uh, like in Spanish, Anyone learn Spanish? Spanish has, yeah, different masculine, feminine nouns and, and pronouns. Uh, certain nouns are just masculine or feminine. I think the word for chair is a feminine noun. That doesn't mean that chairs are all females. That's just language. So we see that gender in the past, it just kind of existed objectively only in that realm of linguistics. But today, gender now refers to not the objective binary classification, but it refers to a subjective self-perception of viewing self, oneself, as being male or female. Thus, it doesn't really point to anything 
tangible, but it points to more of a psychological reality independent from biological sex. See, that's the distinction. Sex is an objective binary classification. Gender is a subjective self-perception. Sex is biological. Gender is psychological. And at present, this subjective and psychological concept of gender is now, interestingly enough, oftentimes enforced linguistically as we are not just encouraged, which, I mean, I wouldn't have too much of an issue if we're encouraged to use pronouns, but in many instances, it's no longer encouragement, but mandated to use enforced pronouns which is so contrary to the way that United States was formed with the freedom of speech. But that's neither here nor there. And so these preferred pronouns and even newly chosen names that match self-perception rather than objective truth. But isn't that oftentimes how minds are changed through changing and adapting language? And, and you would think that given that sex is objective and gender is subjective, that we would value conforming our subjective ideas to objective truth. But today, the opposite is true. So our culture now values altering our, the objective physical reality of our bodies to accommodate the subjective impression of ourselves. And I think that is what we need to recognize today, that sometimes the... The real enemy of the modern church today is the temptation to accommodate. And most people's self-perception is congruent with their biological sex. So, for example, many of you here, you would view yourself that is in alignment with your birth sex. For myself, I view myself as a male, and that aligns with my biology. Now, for some, there is what we call incongruence, where things don't necessarily match, where one would view themselves as maybe this is why we hear people say, I, I feel like I'm a woman stuck in a man's body. Or I'm a, I view myself as a man stuck in a female's body. And this mental distress from the dissonance is called gender dysphoria. And to be clear, this is a psychological consequence of the fall. As we all deal with consequences of the fall, that dissonance, this is just one example but I do want to say a few things about something, a, a new phenomenon that we are seeing occur more and more today, and that is this enormous, enormous rise of preteen girls who now are identifying as transgender males. Rapid onset, and in some instances, we're seeing that it is and a thousand percent increase in some instances. And, and it's more than their counterparts of males, of boys. We don't see the same. And this is just uh, uh, an abstract taken from uh, um, a study that interviewed parents who had preteen girls that identified as transgender. This is kind of just taken from this. The onset of gender dysphoria seemed to occur in the context of belonging to a peer group where one, multiple, or even all friends have become gender dysphoric and transgender identified during the same time frame. Parents also report that their children exhibited an increase in social media and internet use prior to disclosure of a transgender identity. Recently, clinicians have reported that post-puberty presentations of gender dysphoria in natal females that appear to be rapid in onset is a phenomenon that they are seeing more and more in their clinic. Academics have raised questions about the role of social media in the development of gender dysphoria. So we're seeing that much, much more and it's just a question that we need to put out there. Is this simply really just something that is who a person is? Or is there something else that is going on here? 
And then no one's willing to kind of study that. We're just embracing it. If the kid says this, then they are. And, and, here's, and here's a little side note. We're seeing all this discussion today about gender identity. And the schools are completely, public schools and some Christian schools as well, are completely embracing and without question, if a kid thinks this, then it's true. If a kid says they're a boy, even though they're born a girl, then the school is going to identify them as however this kid, whatever this kid says. And this is being completely affirmed. But one thing, and, and it's all over the news. But one thing that is not talked about, which I don't know why it's not talked about at the same time, is also a phenomenon that we're here seeing in a lot of schools. This is not, you won't see this really much in the media, and I kind of know why. It's the reality of furries. Yes or no? Why is not is the media not addressing? Because that's the same thing kids are saying, I'm a dog. Not like it's Halloween, ha ha, I'm a dog. I'm a cat, meow, meow. And it's, you know, just being funny. Literally, they are, they are saying, I am a cat. I'm identifying as a dog. I even know of a school, this is anecdotally, of a mother that says, this school... They have a person that says, I am a dog. And they, in the cafeteria, have set up a placemat and a dog bowl for this kid to eat. And no one is supposed to make fun of this person or say anything else. That's where we are today. Why aren't we seeing this on MSNBC or CNN? Because I think we would know why. Because then we would be coming to our senses and saying, Hmm, maybe we need to be rethinking this. But, so, the reality of teens, that's one phenomenon that needs to be addressed quite um, seriously. But the reality among adults, because there have been some studies, and, and, and the unfortunate thing is a lot of these studies are just, some of them are, are incomplete or whatever, or, or even some of them need, still need to be replicated and confirmed. But regardless, there are studies that have shown that in many of these pre-adolescent kids that exhibit gender dysphoria, in some of those situations, we don't know exactly how many, but definitely some, whether it's majority or not, it doesn't matter, some, this gender dysphoria, when it comes to puberty or beyond, is resolved. However, in the same studies we're showing, when they are affirmed of that, it's almost never resolved. So... With adults, it is a true struggle for some, and this is where it comes into the reality of the fall, as we all struggle. This is not just those people struggle with the reality of the fall. We would all do, right? We all struggle with the reality of the fall. And the issue is then, are we going to put our identity in our struggle? I am gay. I am trans. And then adapt, because then that would be making our experience our defining characteristic. But, and then it is, is, in essence, putting our psychology over our biology, which is this dualism, which is all about mind over matter. The only thing that matters is what I think, and everything that I think, everything else needs to adapt, including my own body. Hence, that's why we call gender identity. But the truth of the matter is, like I said in the last talk, the, the, the sense of ourself is at best describing how we are, not who we are. But some assert that male or female, it's culturally bound. So you are only male or female because society tells you or your family or your mom told you that you are a boy or a girl. That's why you're a boy or a girl. Is that true? Well, this is where we confuse these categories and we confuse sex with norms. 
And when I say norms, what am I, what am I talking about? So when I talk about norms, I'm talking about the reality of masculinity and femininity. Masculinity and femininity are behavioral characteristics that are associated with being male or female. And admittedly, these social norms can be shaped by our culture and expectations. So um, when we uh, here in the United States, when we think about kind of masculine, we think about someone rough, tough, unemotional, or inartistic. For some, the quintessential all-American man is a rugged, loud, bombastic football player or construction worker. But take that example of masculine and you take it to, I don't know, another culture. Let's say Asia. That would not be masculine. Barbaric, but not masculine. <laughs> Who says a man can't be artistic? The Bible, in the Old Testament, Jubal was the father of all those who played the lyre. Moses led Israel in a song of victory over Egypt. David was skilled at the harp and wrote numerous psalms. He also assigned men to be musicians in the, temp te in the temple. Who says men can't be emotional, right? Boys don't cry. Who says? Many of the prophets, Ezra, Nehemiah, Jeremiah, were not afraid to express their emotions through public tears. Jesus wept. Strong emotions are not reserved for women only. Amen? King David was known for having a heart after God. He was famous for his brave exploits. First as a shepherd boy when he fought lions and bears to protect his sheep. Then as a youth who defied and killed giant Goliath. And later as a warrior king. But David was also known as being intuitive and sensitive. Exhibiting traits that today in our macho culture would not view as something appropriate for a real man's man. I sometimes wonder if David grew up today playing the harp at your high school. He would definitely be ridiculed as being a sissy. So does that mean then that like there are no differences between how men and women should live and act? Well, that's looking to get cues from the world. Instead of looking for our cues and taking our cues from the world, let's like base our understandings upon scripture. So we talked about sex, objective binary classification. Gender is this subjective self-perception. And then norms, which are masculinity, that's our femininity based on culture and society. But then we have roles. That there are differences, but not based on culture, but based on God's word. So this is talking about manhood and woman, biblical manhood and womanhood. And I know oftentimes this can get people all, all kind of up in arms, but let's just look at scripture. There are distinctions that scripture makes between men and women going all the way back to Genesis 2, Genesis 2, where it says that God created woman to be man's helper fit for him. And that's, that can be very controversial. Because I rarely hear someone say, you know, be really positive about that term, helper. Don't you dare call me your helper. But you see, that misunderstands and takes our modern understanding of helper and places our modern understanding of helper on this biblical text. Because if we actually read it, the term helper in light of scripture, we would see that the term helper in Hebrew, it's the Hebrew word etzer or ezer, in Hebrew, it's, it's pronounced etzer. It occurs 21 times in the Old Testament. 16 of those times, the word helper refers to God. Is God weak? Is God helpless? Like a helpless dame in distress, help me. Or is God powerful, able to save? capable. I bet many times, husbands, you've probably been saved out of a few situations from your wives. That's a good helper. Amen? Amen. 
So a helper is not someone who's weak, not someone who's somehow less than, right? I mean, isn't our world, we think of helper as like, oh, like my, um, you know, my landscaper or my butler or my, you know, housekeeper, a helper. Not at all the way that scripture talks about helper. A helper is someone who is able. A helper is someone who can save. A helper is even someone who's powerful, fit for him. So in Hebrew, it's this kind of Hebrew construction, connecto, that communicates actually both similarity and dissimilarity. Adam and Eve are both alike as human beings. Like, in other words, they're not like, you know, they're, they're similar from the, they're different from the animals. So they're both similar in both being human beings. But they're also different in being male and female. So we call that complementarity. God intends for the woman to complement, in other words, their similarity and dissimilarity, and not duplicate a man. And this difference of calling is God's design from the beginning. For example, the apostle, this is the New Testament, the apostle exhorts husbands to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's a high calling. Wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. These distinct roles are vital in marriage, church, and other realms as well. And then going back to Genesis chapter 1, God creates the heavens and the earth and fills the earth with living creatures. And the crown of creation is humanity, Adam. The Hebrew word Adam actually means human or humankind or humanity. Among all the various characteristics of that God, uh, you know, bestows, there's one highlighted, and it's that we're created in God's image. We get this right from Genesis 1. I'm going to put this up on the screen. Genesis 1, even if you're looking in your Bibles or you're reading the narrative text, when Genesis 1.27 comes up, you see that it's all indented over. What does that mean? That means that this one verse is poetry. In Hebrew, I mean, when we read it, it doesn't kind of sound like poetry, but in Hebrew, it is. Specifically, it's three lines of poetry and specifically three parallel lines of poetry that I put up here. It begins with, so God created man in his own image, the first line. The second parallel line of poetry is, in the image of God, he created him. And then third line of parallel poetry, male and female, he created them. So I'm going to kind of break this down a little bit here. Anyone ever done sentence diagramming? So let's... Any nerds out there? Sentence diagramming. Okay. So let me do, I'm going to nerd out a little bit here, so stick with me. So we're going to do a little bit of sentence diagramming here. Sentence diagramming, you're going to look at the subject, verb, object, etc. So parallel line number one, we have subject, God, verb, created, man, direct object. You guys following me so far? I hope I'm not giving anyone a headache, but this, is, uh, this has a point. So we got subject, verb, object, right? And then this, after that, is a prepositional phrase. Got it? Subject, verb, object, prepositional phrase. That's line one. Line two, it begins with not the subject, but the prepositional phrase in the image of God. Basically the same thing as in his own image, right? Ex- basically exactly the same thing. So prepositional phrase, then subject, he, God created same word, and then him, man, him. Now, to be clear, this is not just referring to like males only. This is referring, the, the word man in Hebrew is Adam, which also means humanity. So God created, you could also say God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. So kind of thinking humanity as a whole. And then... Watch what happens here in the third line. Instead of having a prepositional phrase here, what do we have instead? We have two nouns, male and female. And then subject, verb, object. Now we have the them instead of him. And I think basically this is kind of, this second line is referring to humanity as a whole, as kind of we're one humanity as a whole, but we're also individuals, separate. But what I want to kind of, Note 
These are three parallel lines. Like the first and second is saying the exact same thing. Second and third lines is there's the only difference is instead of in the image of God, we have male and female. And there's so much discussion through the millennia from the early church fathers, even till today, about the image of God. What is it referring to? Does it, or do we contain the image of God? Do we have the image of God? Or are we just all, all, our whole person is created in the image of God, which I think is much more accurate. But oftentimes there's very little discussion about this verse, how we see the author of this verse, Moses, revealing or writing down the revelation of God, how there is a direct correlation between being created in the image of God and being male and female. There is a direct correlation somehow with being created in the image of God and being male and female. And I think that one thing that we can at least pull from this is that as much as being created in the image of God is essential to being human, being male or female is also essential to being human. That... This isn't something that is just temporary. This isn't something that, like in the heavens, we're going to be just gender neutral. That somehow, you know, angels, and, and we don't even know, are angels, you know, that, that's a big question. I, I personally don't think that angels are non-binary. I think angels, there's male and female. We, we don't know, but that's not, that, 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 that isn't a, like a big doctrinal issue. That's just my personal thing. It's not super clear, but, but I think, um, but I mean, we have Gabriel, Michael, and those, you know, give the impression. But this, we do find that as much as in the, we're created in the image of God, that that is also an eternal reality. We're going to continue to be even in, in glory, We're still going to be beings created in the image of God that actually no other being is created in God's image. No animal, no angelic being is created in the image of God. Only human beings, we are. That that's something that's eternal. That male or female is also an essential reality. It's, it's not just biological. Sometimes we, we limit that sex is somehow just a biological reality. It is, but it's not only in the image of God is a, is, is a holistic, it's physical and it's spiritual and same thing with being male or female, that sex is first and foremost a spiritual reality. It's an ontological, in other words, it's an essential reality of being human created by God. Being male or female cannot then be changed by human hands. As much as we even try to alter it in ourselves, sex is a category of God's own handiwork. It's his original and everlasting design. And as much as we might try to alter that in our own body, the most that someone can do is to artificially remove or artificially augment certain body parts. But that doesn't change someone. I need to often remind people when people's like, oh, well, what happens if one person, you know, transitions? It doesn't matter. Every single cell in that person's body proclaims how this person is made and born. Take Jenner, Bruce, or Caitlin. A hundred years from now, after Jenner passes, If they were to exhume his bones and they were to do a test on his bones, the fact is he's male. No hormone, no amount of surgery or plastic surgery. Like sometimes I'm like, do you really think that looks good? I'm not even talking about, you know, you know, Caitlin. Sometimes I'm like... You know, there's an end, you know, where you could say, that's enough. Um, But we, no amount of surgery can alter the fact that every single cell in our bodies created by God proclaims the fact, right? We believe in science. 
Amazing, crazy, right? The science that shows that I am a male. Now, of course, I mean, it, it could be possible that I could, a person could struggle with gender dysphoria, a reality of the fall, but our body, every... So when a mom comes to me distraught, it's like, oh my goodness, you know, my son is going through this transition. Do you know people that transition, it's, that, that's not even a correct term. It should be transitioning. Because there's no transition. In other words, it's not like, it's never finished. I'm not talking about surgeries. I'm talking about this person every single day must take medications or injections. That means the artificial opposite sex hormones and the artificial hormone suppressants for their own sex hormones. So for for myself, if I was going through so-called transition, if I did the surgery, every single, single day, I must take testosterone suppressants, and I need to take what? Ladies, you tell me. Estrogen. Every single day. Or, I mean, or, or weekly or whatever. I mean, sometimes they're changing it. I mean, but regardless, it's never ending. And if I was a woman, you know, born a woman, and, and I, you know, identified as transgender, went through transition, surgery or not, every single day, this person would need to take what? Estrogen suppressants, blockers, and testosterone. Do you guys know, apart from transition and, and so-called gender therapy, which is so funny, they call it therapy, right? That's how minds are changed, by changing the terminology. Do you know when a person has too much estrogen or too much testosterone, you know what that automatically increases the risks of? A whole list of things, including cancer, including heart disease, including mental disorders. I mean, mental, mental health, a lot, a slew of other things. How do I, I, I even know that personally. Before I came to Christ, um, in the gay community, it's, you got to look good. It's all about how you look. You know, got to look young, got to look buff. I wanted to be buff. But I'm Chinese. You know, I mean, so, <laughs> so I needed help. Just being real. So what did I do? You know, I, I mean, like, I, I did drugs. I did, doesn't matter. If it, so I did steroids. Any person that lifts and does bodybuilding and did steroids know that when you do steroids, you cannot do steroids for a long period of time. That's a fact. You do them for cycles, the most six weeks. It's usually four to six weeks of testosterone. I mean, there's a whole slew of growth hormones. There's a whole bunch of stuff you, you, you take. Because not only, if you do it longer than that, are there some severe physical ramifications. I knew people who their heart was twice the size, twice the size, and it just exploded. I, you know, and so there's physical ramifications for taking, you know, hormones and test, you know, steroids and stuff longer than normal. But there are some huge mental health issues for taking testosterone. I'll just give you my life example. I did, for about two years, I, I was on and off, on and off with testosterone, right? I wanted to be buff. So I, I went through those two years, I punched through three walls and almost tore a door off its hinge, literally almost tore a door off its frame and hinge. And I'm Chinese. I mean, come on, look at me. I told this story to um, a lady who lived as a lesbian for a few years and then was like, no, I'm a man, and went through transition, went through hormones. And she told me, I told that to her, and she said, you know what? I had a similar experience. I punched through four walls and almost killed my partner. We don't talk about that. 
So we talk about this, you know, this altering that we can just alter things as if there's no ramifications. But in other words, what that really is, is it's psychology usurps biology. So what I feel has become who I am. And when we deny this physical genetic reality, we allow our experience to then supersede essence and more importantly, image of God. And so the ultimate question is, where should we put our emphasis? Because honestly, transgenderism actually isn't a battle for what is male or female. It's a battle for what is true, what is real. Because this world is about you feel something, it's your truth. You think something, that's your reality. And no one should ever tell you anything different. So therefore, as I said earlier, sola experientia now wins out over sola scriptura. But what does God's word say? God tells us, you are who I created you to be. The truth is not what we feel, but it's based on God's truth. Because our fallen heart, our fallen hearts, Jeremiah says, is deceitful above all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We can't trust our own thoughts, our own feelings. Paul said in Romans 12 too, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. But we need to trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Just as I said earlier, we can't properly understand gender identity with beginning with theological anthropology, that we're all creating God's image, but we're also all fallen. So, who am I? Who are you? I'm coming back to this question. When it comes to gender and sex, who am I? I am who God made me, who makes no mistakes. I am created in God's image. I'm a redeemed Christian man, nothing more, nothing less. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this truth. Help us, Lord God, understand that as the world is kind of confusing and conflating these categories, sex, gender, norms, roles, but ultimately that all of this needs to be grounded in the fact that we are created in your image. Though we have been, though we're fallen and we've all gone our own ways, Lord, help us because of Christ transform our minds and our thoughts to conform to your truth. We love you, God, and we ask this in Jesus' name and the people of God said, amen.